Hello, and welcome back to Keep Digging for Life, your seminary on the go. I'm your host, Jason Epps. Last week, I discussed the Eclipse of Biblical Narrative by Fry, which was a historical look at the 1800s development in hermeneutics, specifically the more secular uh, scholastic side of hermeneutics. Today, I'm wanting us to dig into its modern counterpart, which is Hermeneutics and Introduction by Thistleton. Hermeneutics by Thistleton essentially carries the eclipse of biblical narrative to its logical conclusion, but more about that later. Again, if you have any questions or want to see future topics, please feel free to email me at keepdiggingforlife at gmail.com. That is keepdiggingforlife at gmail.com. Again, keepdiggingforlife at gmail.com. All right, let's dig in. Thistleton makes the interesting observation that hermeneutics as a discipline was first started by Rabbi Hillel, who had the seven rules of biblical interpretation, which um, basically dealt with simple statements of observation. Um, in from 500 to 1800, basically a similar time period that Fry was talking about, uh, hermeneutics was equivalent to exegesis, plainly seen in the text. But Schleiermacher, fun name, German, uh, began to incorporate non-textual elements. Schleiermacher was... He called himself a Christian, and he wanted the Bible to have uh, more power and he wrestled it away from critical scholars. So I guess that's good, but the end result was it had, it still did not have its full um, authority effect. Uh, Schlockermeyer essentially tried to compromise and because of that compromise, it pushed further and further. That's... um, a key lesson from history. When you compromise truth, it always gets pushed and pushed and pushed. Truth should never be compromised because the other side can always push it further and further and further. And while it may have started as a simple concession, it ended up way off, which essentially caused the Bible to uh, lose any authoritative power. It was a precursor to uh, reader response, which I've talked about many times in this podcast. And unfortunately, or fortunately, I will talk about it again. Thistleton argues that the purpose of hermeneutics is to explore criteria and conditions uh, for a 
faithful and appropriate interpretation, which sounds nice, but his conditions include more than just textual evidence. He argues that the readers of the text can shape it and therefore change its meaning. However, as we'll see in a future podcast, the problem when you adapt that philosophy is there's no standard by which to judge the validity of these interpretations against. Uh, and the uh, authorial meaning no longer exists in the written text. Ironically, as I've said many times before, and I'll say again, uh, the big glaring issue with reader response theory is that these authors advocating reader response theory are saying that meaning isn't inherent in written works and that readers bring their own meaning to the text. Well, the problem with that is they themselves are advocating for a particular meaning. It's like saying, um, it's okay to steal and loot if it's for a good cause, but don't steal my book. No? It's, it's an almost an elitist view. Like, uh, you should understand me as communicating, this is them saying it, you should understand me as communicating authorial intent clearly. And you can understand me, but nothing else you really can understand. It's almost demeaning. Related to this, he since he adopts a reader response uh, view, his uh, goal of hermeneutics is to build bridges with uh, to opposing viewpoints to essentially uh, see that how all those viewpoints can work together, which sounds nice, but this is not the goal of hermeneutics, or it should be. The goal of hermeneutics isn't, shouldn't be how different human thoughts can coexist. It's what is the author trying to communicate. You could think all day long that aliens... Uh, secretly invaded on January 20th and put a slug into the president. But uh, unless you have any hard evidence, people are going to brand you as a conspiracy theorist, tinfoil hat, that kind of thing. Just having an idea is not enough. Anybody can have any idea on anything. It needs to be supported to have any sort of validity, and that's what we lose with reader response. He argues throughout the book that he's taking a middle ground with this new hermeneutic, that it's not pure reader response. Um, but throughout his argument of needing to create space for these different hermeneutics, it, it appears that it's just reader response in new clothes. It's opening the floodgates for reader response. The goal of him is not to understand the biblical text. It's to bring all these different perspectives to bear. And that's the key word you want to look out for reader response. Our goal shouldn't be bringing perspectives to bear. Our goal should be trying to understand the best we can, uh, 
understanding what the author is communicating. Now, there is validity in different people looking at and different people engaging the text because one person might miss something. But that is still grounded in what the text is communicating. That's the difference. Alright, my main critique of Thistleton is his improper understanding of hermeneutics. And his advocating of reader response theory. Like I've said before, the goal of hermeneutics is not to build bridges, it's not to understand multiple perspectives. The goal is to understand what the author wrote. People can think and have differing ideas all the time. And sure, let's listen to them. But let's see if they have any textual evidence. Uh, to use another example, it's like a murder case. If somebody was just accused of Killing someone that you couldn't try them unless you had evidence. Just somebody uh, saying that somebody killed somebody else is not enough. Because that person may have a vendetta. Same is true here. Interpretation must be based on Evidence, textual evidence in this case. That is the problem with reader response theories. It opens the floodgates where you can make the text mean anything you want under the sun. Which, as I've said before, is very advantageous for scholasticism because it allows them to create new concepts, new approaches. And that's what is... The pressure in scholasticism, especially if you don't have to worry about the meaning of the text, it is way more difficult to come up with new thoughts and new approaches when it's built on the text. I mean, a reader response theory can argue that David was a woman when he actually wasn't. In fact, there's probably some that actually do, and they're more hyper feminist camp but the point is we can't make the text mean what we want it to mean the text needs to stand on its own whether we like it or not there's some aspects of the biblical text that i wish wasn't in there for example the doctrine of hell i really hate for the fact that if people don't believe in jesus christ as their own personal savior they go to hell i hate that doctrine with passion but it doesn't change the fact that it's true. Just because you doesn't like something doesn't mean it isn't true. Uh, as uh, Ben Shapiro always says, facts don't care about your feelings. That is one of the problems with our society now. We're 
so feelings driven which can be easily manipulated by media or any number of things gone are the days of critical thinking unfortunately people get often ripped up into a frenzy without even thinking about it it's kind of like the story in Acts where people go into the amphitheater and they run in there and most of them don't even know why they're there, but they shout for two hours, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. We need to try and reclaim a sense of level-headedness and maintaining the truth of the Bible and its integrity is a fantastic way to start because the Bible, I would argue, is the norming norm. We need a reference point to determine where we are as people, as a nation. And when the Bible is under attack, and this is why it's under so much attack versus any other piece of literature across the board, it's because the Bible forms itself as a standard and calls out evil and sin for what it is. If we remove the Bible, we can rationalize anything away and rationalize ourselves as not sinners and the only people that are sinners are extreme sinners like Hitler. Uh, newsflash, we are all sinners, we are all guilty, and if you have not accepted Jesus Christ, which... I'm assuming most of you have if you're listening to this podcast, but there's always a chance that somebody really hasn't have a genuine relationship with them. I would encourage you to do that. and Maybe I should do a podcast on that later. Anyway, so. That's enough of my mini rant um, and analysis of it. All right. All in all, um, keep weary of often ways communicated and always ask yourself what facts back this up, whether it's the Bible, news, anything. Because emotions can be swayed. Facts are still can be swayed, but tend to be more stable. Again, thank you so very much for listening to my podcast, Keep Digging for Life. If you have any questions, please feel free to email me at keepdiggingforlife at gmail.com, keepdiggingforlife at gmail.com. And I know these past two podcasts have been a little discouraging, but it's helpful to see what the other side is saying, that they're either not telling the whole story in the case of the eclipse of biblical narrative, or they're picking and choosing what they like in the case of reader response. Both of these are detrimental and unhelpful. And I would just, I hope that these two podcasts have encouraged you to continue with the plain reading of scripture. Until next week, keep digging.